It's time for one of our yearly episodes, and this year, it's 1993. Welcome to Just Ace, a podcast about the Australian alternative music scene, whatever the hell that means. This week, we look at Dave Brainy, The Welcome Mat, Things of Stone and Wood, and Even As We Speak. One of the most singular figures to emerge in Australian music in the 90s was Dave Grainy. I remember first seeing Grainy and thinking how odd he looked. Compared to, say, Tex Perkins, Grainy was short, had a silly moustache, and was dad bod before that term became popular. But he made his impact on the decade with his unique take on what the kids wanted. In the 80s, Grainy and his partner in crime, drummer Claire Moore, were in the band The Moodists. In Australia, they released an album on Agogo in 1984. They moved to England and found some small, indie-level success there. They released a single on the Awesome Creation Records and they performed a John Peel session. But they were very much at the bottom of the ladder, having fun but not close to breaking through. They were far more post-punk and Nick Cave-like than anything Dave Graney would later do. You can hear it on the second Moodist single, Gone Dead. Here's Gone Dead by the Moodists. Grainy got to experience the difference between the UK indie scene and the Australian one. Grainy described the UK scene as full of people dressing up and the whole scene was a theatrical tribute to rock and roll history. It probably informed where his career would go later. The Moodists broke up in 1987 and Dave and Claire's UK visas ran out in 1989. Returning to Melbourne, the pair started a couple of new bands before settling into Dave Grainy and the Coral Snakes as their main project. Here, Dave and Claire would embark on a very different journey to the starving Aussie musicians bumming around London. They played around Melbourne and did okay, but 1993 was a breakthrough year for Dave Graney and the Coral Snakes. The band signed a deal with Polygram Publishing, giving them some money. It led to a deal with the Polygram imprint, ID, founded by Adam Yatsi, who worked at Polygram's publishing arm. ID was being set up as an indie imprint that Polydor could own, unlike their own deal with Red Eye a little bit like Polydor's own version of Murmur. Dave Graney and the Coral Snakes released their third album, Night of the Wolverine, in 1993, and their first for a major label. It was produced by Tony Cohen, who had worked with Nick Cave, Beasts of Bourbon, Falling Joys, and many others. Cohen would win an ARIA award for his work on another 1993 album, The Cruel Seas and the Honeymoon is Over. Night of the Wolverine spawned two hits in the Triple J world, the title track and You're Just Too Hip Baby. Both songs made the Triple J Hottest 100 of 1993 at 48 and 59, respectively. You can hear the sound it is going for, that indie take on jazzy smoothness. Even the use of the word hip was a throwback, although that song is a reference to a short piece called You're Too Hip, Baby, written in 1963 by Terry Southern, 
a writer who, amongst other things, wrote the films Dr. Strangelove and Easy Rider. Here's your Just Too Hip Baby by Dave Graney and the Coral Snakes, first released in 1993 on id records you're just too hip baby all alone you're just too hip baby all alone yeah or how did you get so detached talking a But the early 90s, the world was new. This post-Nirvana, post-Big Day Out world. Dave Graney could have just been another Australian 80s muso that had some success but was washed away when the alternative explosion hit as being yesterday's news. In 93-94, alternative was everywhere. Britpop was breaking through and Triple J was bringing alternative to a new young audience. So Dave Graney, who had lived the theatricality of UK bands in the late 80s, decided to change things up. It starts with the Dave Graney and the Coral Snakes 1994 single, I'm Gonna Release Your Soul. The song starts with a long instrumental and in the film clip we pan along the band members on stage somewhere. Then. Dave Graney appears from behind a curtain, dressed in a shiny three-piece white suit and sunglasses, but making no effort to hide his receding hairline. That he was making a statement in a film clip is interesting in itself. Here's I'm Gonna Release Your Soul by Dave Graney and the Carl Snakes. I'm gonna do the right thing as soon as I see what it is in the meantime. I'm gonna release your soul Girls at home lying with a man He's trying to sleep Dreaming of you I'm gonna release your soul You park the car I'll get the bags I'll get the clerk Oh yeah Yeah I'm gonna release your soul I'm Gonna Release Your Soul is, in an indie Melbourne way, a reinvention. It's not quite Dylan going electric, but it was a new persona. It was at least Reginald Dwight becoming Elton John or something. Dave Graney was suddenly this dapper, ironic man. In a world of Australian indie rock where everyone is so damn relatable, Dave Graney was the opposite. There's a lot of bands in the 90s that I love that just wore jeans and t-shirts, and that's fine. I own jeans, and I own t-shirts, but Graney offered something different. The older I got, the more I appreciate what he brought. It's almost an alternative to the alternative. I have to say though, as an early teen, it was difficult to look past Graney's silly suits and his odd song matters. I mistook him for a comedy act, and sure, he is definitely having fun with part of that tongue in part of his cheek. But on record, Graney approached his lounge-inspired version of indie rock and roll with a true heart. He just liked to be a little bit sillier when it came to his film clips and photos. I'm Gonna Release Your Soul peaked at number 81 on the ARIA singles chart, his first song to ever crack the singles chart. 
He made number 79 in the Hottest 100 in 1994, and film clip director Tony Mahoney was also awarded the ARIA Award for Best Video. Mahoney, a wonderful director and artist, would manage all of Dave Graney's artwork and videos from here on in. The album that featured that song, 1994's You Wanna Be There But You Don't Wanna Travel, peaked at number 10 in the ARIA charts. Yep, Dave Graney is an Australian alternative artist with a top 10 album, whatever the hell that means. Whether that dapper look of I'm Gonna Release Your Soul was conceived as a one-off gag, we'll never know because Dave decided to take it even further with his 1995 album, The Soft and Sexy Sound. The first single was Rock and Roll Is Where I Hide. It features, for my money, one of the top 10 guitar riffs of Australian music in the 90s. Here's Rock and Roll Is Where I Hide by Dave Graney and the Coral Snakes, first released in 1995. Tell you about my power, about my mysterious king. I used to go about fully believing I was invisible. The legendary invisible rock singer, I would open my started to talk, started to talk about this legendary, mysterious, loudmouth, invisible rock singer, cowboy. I began to it didn't chart, but the song made it to number 16 in the Triple J Hottest 100, a career best for Dave Graney. But more interesting, again, was Dave Graney's look. Dave appeared in a pink crushed velvet suit and a wig when he and the band performed the song on Recovery. That's the image of Dave that is featured on the single of Rock and Roll Is Where I Hide. This dapper, ironic persona continued, or if anything, grew. Most surreal of all was it was how Graney was dressed when he won the ARI Award for Best Male Artist. It was strange that he won it all. He beat out legends like Paul Kelly and even fellow indie darling Tex Perkins. I wonder what presenter Shirley Manson of Garbage thought of this strange man who came up to accept his award. Graney, dressed in his pink suit and wig, got up on stage and declared himself the King of Pop. This was the era when Michael Jackson insisted people call him the King of Pop. Oh, and he points out that he has never really been a solo artist and that he's really the member of a band. A sly dig at the best male artist criteria. The whole joke of this persona, if it was a joke, culminated in 1997 when Dave Graney appeared on Neighbours. Turns out, Toadie is a fan and plays an elaborate trick to get him to appear in his uni radio station. No. What? I just thought about it. The answer's still no. I just don't have that time to waste. I've been a fan of yours since I was a kid. You want me to sign something? Well, no. Yes, I probably would, but all I want is for you to do this one favour for me. It'll only take half an hour. Half an hour's a long time in my world. Good luck with the show. Nice meeting you. Yeah, right. All this stuff, Neighbours, the Arias, was one big prank. 
At best, it was a provocative bit of theatre inspired by the showboating he saw in the UK. At worst, it was some sort of Melbourne indie in-joke, some sort of stab at the masses when he got too close to the mainstream. I don't know. I can only imagine no one put a gun to Dave Graney's head to appear on Neighbours. For me, that pink suit persona was something to get past. As a kid, I thought he was just a funny guy. Even now, I think most people who have heard of Dave do so with a giggle. The way we remember other silly Triple J characters like Flacco and the Sandman. If he was trying to make some point about fashion or fads or fame, I don't know if that worked. But Graney's ironic persona wasn't present in the music. That persona is dated, but the music still sounds good. And thankfully, the album covers by Tony Mahoney were all classy illustrations. The classiness can be heard on his next album, 1997's The Devil Drives. Again, the cover had that distinctive old magazine advertisement look. The music had style and bravado, as first heard in the single, Feeling Kinda Sporty. The album charted at number 18. Here's Dave Granny and the Coral Snakes with Feeling Kinda Sporty. A black statesman, seven and three, caprice, leaded, fate in a pleasant mood, playing on the deck, standing on a street corner, waiting for no one, feeling kinda sporty. The Devil Drives would be the last album by Dave Graney and the Coral Snakes. They had made four albums for Polygram. Id Records founder Yahtzee, who guided their career, had left. Polygram was sold and became Universal Music. No one knew what to do with Dave Graney and the Coral Snakes, so they got dropped. A contractual obligation best of called The Baddest was released in 1999. The Coral Snakes broke up before that happened. In a way, it made sense because The Devil Drives was less of a band record anyway, with everything done by Dave and Claire and learnt later by a band. After decades of making music together, Dave and Claire made it even more about Dave and Claire. A series of bands would follow, all with Dave Graney in the title, and Dave and Claire were the only consistent members. The Dave Graney Show, Dave Graney in the lurid yellow mist, or sometimes just getting to the point as Dave Graney and Claire Moore. Since 2000, Dave and Claire have released well over a dozen albums, the latest of which was in 2022 called Inner Missly, and released on their own label. But Graney and Moore never made the charts again, and Graney never wore that pink suit again either. Dave Graney's 90s legacy was those albums with the Coral Snakes and then this weird persona. The best thing about it was it was weird, and it happened as the scene was literally signing more white guys in three-piece suits who wore band t-shirts and jeans. Those string of radio singles, I'm Gonna Release Your Soul, Rock and Roll Is Where I Hide, and Feeling Kinda Sporty are all great. That contractual obligation best of called The Baddest is a great starting point. And there's been a reissue of 1993's Night of the Wolverine on vinyl just this year. Maybe reissues of the later albums might come out too. Grady is the best keeper of his own story. He has released two memoirs, the first of which was called A Thousand and One Australian Nights, which has lots of stories about his life as a musician. It's a great read and, as you can imagine, funny as hell in some places. But let's not forget that mostly, his wife Claire Moore 
was a second member of the duo known as Dave Graney. She is just as important to the story of Dave Graney as the bloke named Dave Graney. She just sat behind him sometimes. Beyond the radio singles, it took me a while to get my head around Dave Graney. I had to be older than 15 and get a little life under my nails, especially the earlier Coral Snakes records before his persona sort of took over for those last two. On 1994's You Want to Be There But You Don't Want to Travel, there is a tender song called Imagine If What You Did On Your Weekend Was Your Life. It wasn't a single, it was just a song. And unlike later, where there was a big difference between the artist and the art, this is direct and touching. He maybe didn't do it often enough in the 90s when he was playing dress-up, but he could be emotionally powerful at times. Removed from Grainy's cartoon image from the mid to late 90s, the music really shines. So this is a song I think about almost every Monday. Here's Imagine If What You Did On Your Weekend Was Your Life by Dave Grainy and the Coral Snakes from their number 10 album, You Want to Be There But You Don't Want to Travel, first released in 1994. Imagine If what you did on your weekend was your life Shopping, swimming, coffee, newspapers, magazines, TAB Bottle store, call your mother, call your brother, call Hey, what you doing? What you been doing? What you gonna do tonight? A feeling something is over for a while. 1993 saw the release of the Welcome Mats debut album, Graham. The Hummingbirds started as a reaction to the darkness and heaviness of the Australian indie scene in the 80s, and their success lit a spark in the minds of many, including the Welcome Mat members, songwriters Corey Messenger and Wayne Connolly. Oh yeah, and people called them the Wellies. The pair followed a rich history of multiple songwriters and singers sharing a four-piece, and the rich history of friendship and rivalry that came with it. Messenger and Connolly had both been in bands with John Kennedy. The Welcome Mat by 1993 were rounded out by drummer Peter Bennett and Leo Mullins on bass. Mullins would also contribute as a songwriter. Look, I guess you would call them power pop. The Welcome Mat released a series of singles and EPs starting in 1990. Melodic and sweet, yet rocking, they fit right in with the Sydney jangle pop indie scene. My favourite of the early EPs is Fairy Dust, released on their own label, Plenty of Hooks. Here's the excellent opener, 10,000 people with the same idea by the welcome mat. This one was written by Wayne.
had a track on the third Ruat Youngblood compilation, which was first released in 1991, with Simon Holmes of The Hummingbird producing. They had the honour of being the opening band at the very first Big Day Out. They were voted Drum Media's favourite Sydney act of 1992. Things were doing okay and they were getting attention, and it was time to step up. The Welcome Mat signed with Regular Records for their debut album. Regular was an independent Australian label that had Ice House, Mental As Anything, and Kate Sobrano. They weren't alternative, at least they weren't yet. They were looking at the indie scene and had previously signed Club Hoy and had a distribution deal with Half A Cow. Adding the Wellies made sense. Following the pattern set by bands like the Hummingbirds, the Wellies worked with an international producer for their debut, or in this case, producers, Paul Hugh Coterie and Sean Slade. The pair had worked with Uncle Tupelo, Buffalo Tom, and Radiohead's debut album, Pablo Honey. That last one had not even come out yet when the Wellies worked with them. In fact, during the Sydney recording of Graham, the producers complained at one point to the Welcome Mat about how this British band they worked with had chosen this terrible song called Creep to be a single. Expectations were high for the Welcome Mat's debut. Expectations both inside and outside the band. The album is a rush of 90s-sounding guitars and energetic rock songs. The more power-pop elements were taken away in favour of fuzzy-sounding 90s guitars. There were a lot of comparisons to American power-popish bands like the Posies or Jellyfish, or the Scottish Teenage Fan Club, who were the most American of Scottish bands. The problem was, there was a lot of bands that sounded like this in 1993. And The Welcome Mat had three songwriters, which worked in The Beatles, but otherwise meant that there was an extra step for people to connect with the band. Graham is a lovely mid-90s guitar record, but for me, it failed to stand out from the pack. Most reviews compared them to existing bands, which suggests to me they failed to do anything distinctive. They got lost in the shuffle. But that's fine though. Like I said, there were lots of bands like that. But to compete at this time, the other trick was having a major label and a million dollar film clip to get your music out there. And the band had neither. When the guitars weren't blaring so much, it revealed some wonderful songwriting. Highlights like Arrive in Time or one of my favourites, the second single, Play Me, written by Corey Messenger. Here's the welcome mat with Play Me from the debut album Graham, first released in 1993 on regular records. Graham didn't make the impact that Regular hoped. Play Me, a song about asking a radio DJ to give the song a spin as a metaphor for love, ended up being ironic because radio didn't get behind the new welcome mat. 
At the same time, the band started to fracture with Corey and Wayne falling out and not talking. Their manager, Brett Oten, quit. In 1994, a year after their album came out, they were dropped by regular records. Somehow the band kept going and released a self-funded EP in 1994 called Headset. It was released on the indie pop Melbourne label Summershine. They then had another chance at major label success when they were signed to the id Records imprinted Polygram, home to Dave Graney. Three years after that debut album, which is an eternity in indie rock circles, the Welcome Matt released their follow-up called Lap of Honor in 1996. Brad Shepard of the Hoodoo Gurus and Wayne shared the production duties. The single was called Hey Illusion. It's one of the Leo songs and it's wonderful. Here's Hey Illusion by the Welcome Matt. Spread me down to it now, won't you know? When a soul can hurt that you throw. See you groove now, won't you to Predictably, by 1996, the indie pop scene of 91 and 92 in Sydney had gone completely. The album flopped. Wayne Connolly had already moved on to a new band, Knievel, with Tracy Ellis and Nick Kennedy. They signed with the super-hot label Murmur, home of Silverchair, and released a debut album called We Fear Change in 1995. He also became an in-demand producer working with Custard, UMI, Josh Pike and many others. Knievel made several more albums. My favourite being their second. It's called Steep Hill Climb and was released in 1998. It had the minor Triple J hit Something Good Must Come. Here's Something Good Must Come by Knievel. Leo Mullins formed a new band, Two Leader Dolby, who released one album, El Cabojo Rojo, on Half a Cow. It's way more downbeat and shoegazer than the sparkling pop of the welcome mat. The single was called Dead Letter Office. This was released somehow as a single.
After 2 Liter Dolby broke up, Mullins moved to Melbourne and formed The Small Knives and released a solo album in 2018. Sadly, Leo died of cancer in 2019. Corey Messenger, the other songwriter in The Welcome Mat, continued to write songs but didn't play in a band that released anything. The Welcome Mat had their chance, but they were up against the wave that was the music industry. It's not easy and sometimes it could be a fight. You could say they never had the right deal or the right look or the right song, but they were also really fractured early on. That romantic idea of a band of brothers who back each other through adversity and stick to their vision, well that kind of wasn't the Welcome Mat. The early EPs are sadly hard to find, and they have some of their best stuff. The word is the band got their rights back, so hopefully they will all be released. Graham and Lap of Honor also has great music if you're into really 90s guitars. Here's my favourite song off Graham. It's another Leo song, and it was released as the first single. Here's Hell Hoping by The Welcome Map. Nineteen ninety-three saw the release of *The Yearning* by Things of Stone and Wood. It was produced by Tony Cohen, who had produced *The Cruel Sea*, *Beasts of Bourbon*, *Dave Graney*, and more. You can add Things of Stone and Wood to the pile of colourful Australian pop at the time, dressed in stripy shirts. They were fronted by Greg Arnold, the main striped shirt wearer, who also sang and wrote the songs. Bassist Michael Allen had been in another band with Arnold, and they were joined by multi-instrumentalist Justin Brady and drummer Tony Floyd. They were from Melbourne and they were very acoustic and folky. They had a decent following in Melbourne. They released their own independent single and it led to a deal with Sony Music Australia. I imagine no one knew what alternative was at this point and no one was really looking at Things of Stone and Wood to be a Nirvana. Their first album was 1993's The Yearning. The first single was Share This Wine which charted at a respectable number 46 for a debut single. But it was all about the second single. Happy Birthday Helen was a smash hit making it to number 9 in the ARIO charts. From their 1993 album The Yearning, here's Things of Stone and Wood with Happy Birthday Helen. Let's not forget last night Yeah, how we drove along the Yarra How we sang harmonies to Carol King These three years now just gone They are the legends of my mind We both kneel at these rocks To drink out the memory You are the tunes in my head The fire in my ribs You are the voice in my heart That whispers compassion Happy birthday, Helen. We kissed on that bridge that fell down while we held hands at 
birthday, Helen. Something about the pure honesty of the song connected. The specific details made the song real. And Helen is a real person. She was Greg's girlfriend and now his wife. He wrote the song for her as a birthday present, as a bit of a laugh. The band decided to play it on stage and it went over okay so they decided to record it. Then they needed another single and the chorus was catchy enough so it was released but no one expected it to be a hit. It sounds like at each step, Happy Birthday Helen was a happy accident. The band's image is very early 90s. I mentioned the stripy t-shirts. They were sort of that colourful, hippie, busker look that was so in at the time. See Frente, Four Non Blondes, Blind Melon and others. In the film clip, someone is wearing a button-up vest. They seem like carefree uni students. They were all in their early 20s at the time. It's funny, some love songs you see yourself in them. Like I Will Always Love You. I don't think of Whitney Houston and Kevin Costner. In fact, I probably wasn't thinking of anyone in particular other than my own feelings on love. The same with a song like My Girl. It's my song, it's not the Temptation song. Happy Birthday Helen is the opposite. I love it because it's not about me. It's about this man who loves his girl Helen. The specific details make the song. The singing harmonies to Carol King bit stays in your head because it's not the same old girl world moon June rhyme. I'm sure Greg and Helen are still deeply in love. In fact, I hope they still are because a lot of my feelings about this song are tied up in their relationship. I'm not sure I've ever been to Melbourne at this point. I didn't know what the Yarra was, let alone why there was some bloke who said Oyam. But I was drawn into the story, and so was a lot of Australia. It helps that Happy Birthday Helen has a nice rush of energy and hasn't dated too badly over the years. They even survived being parodied by the Australian comedians The D Generation on their TV show The Late Show. Word got around that they were doing a Things for Stone and Wood parody and the Frente camp, who had been previously mocked, called the band to warn them. Singer Greg couldn't even bring himself to watch it on the night, but the rest of the band did and on the whole, it wasn't that bad. It was called We've Run Out of Melbourne Clichés and if anything, it lent into the element of the song that I liked the most, the details of the story. And then to the tennis center Through the Backstreet Mall And down the block arcade Caught the 96 tram to St Kilda Esplanade Saw the Westgate Bridge from the top of Linda Street Clocks Saw the Yu Yang's real clear We've just run out of Melbourne cliches. We've just run out of Melbourne cliches. Happy Birthday Helen made it to number 91 in the Triple J Honest 100 of 1993. It led to a bunch of ARIA nominations, including winning Best New Talent in 1993. Happy Birthday Helen was also nominated as one of the highest selling Australian singles of 1993. It was actually number 68 in the top 100 singles of the whole year, outselling Shoot by Salt and Pepper at number 69. The Yearning album peaked at number 8 in the ARIA charts. A second album followed in 1995. Called Junk Theatre, it matched the number 8 chart position of The Yearning, but none of the songs could beat Happy Birthday Helen. 
the first single, Wildflowers, peaked at number 41 in the ARIA singles chart. Here's Wildflowers by Things of Stone and Wood. Across this land everybody settled down To a night fitful dreams Strange apparitions As we tossed and turned we saw ourselves exactly as we are And not surprisingly I'm guessing by 95, 96, the industry had just changed enough that if your major label wasn't going to throw millions at you, they dumped you. Junk theatre failed to match the yearning and things of Sony Wood, for most people, had had their moment. They went back to being an indie band, releasing albums on their own label. Most people probably see things of Stone and Wood as a one-hit wonder, and the tag fits. What I like about them, in recent interviews, is how chilled they are about it. The 90s rise and sudden fall brought a lot of trauma to a lot of people in their 20s. And I'm sure Things of Stone and Wood had their share of hard times, but they seem genuinely happy to have had a big hit and it's helped them survive to this day, and they are still doing shows. They have their fan base and they did a classic album show for The Yearning in 2017. And look, of course, a few years later, I was a mopey late teen and I hated the track too. I was older, discovered serious music like Bob Dylan, and turned my back on this stuff. But I was so much older then, and I'm younger than that now. The Yearning, their debut, is probably still the best place to start. It's a very sweet record. It's light, but it's also thoughtful. The band only recorded two albums for Sony, but Sony still managed to squeeze a best of out of it called The Essential Things of Stone and Wood. I quite like that first single from The Yearning that was later buried historically by Happy Birthday Helen. To end, here's Share This Wine by Things of Stone and Wood. As We Speak was one of the more successful Australian bands on the international stage in the 90s, but it felt like in Australia they were still a secret. The band was formed in 1985 in Sydney, inspired by the independent music scene in Australia and New Zealand. By the time they made their first single they were Matt Love on guitar and vocals, Mary Wire on vocals and a cheap organ, Rob Irwin on bass, Anita Rayner on drums, and Julian Knowles, initially as a producer, but joining the band because it became so important to the sound. Their first breakthrough was the 1987 single, Blue Suburban Skies. It shared a bit with the lo-fi C86 aesthetic in the UK. A further lo-fi indie pop single, Go So Slow, followed in 1989, and it was picked up by respected UK DJ John Peel. It led to a deal with the UK indie label, Sarah Records. I love Sarah Records. It's a very important indie label in the UK at the time. In Australia, Go So Slow was released on the acclaimed Phantom Records label. So here's Even As We Speak with Go So Slow. 
Having found a home in the indie jangle pop scene in the UK, the band split their time in Australia and England. They recorded three sessions for John Peel between 1992 and 1993. More singles were released in the UK on Sarah Records and they would make the upper reaches of the UK indie charts. Back in Australia, they could draw a decent crowd, but they weren't getting the radio airplay or attention outside of Sydney. In the UK, the band had big indie hits and were being played on the BBC. Work began on a debut album, but it was set to be different from their early indie pop. It wasn't going to be more of the same, although it would certainly be more. The album they made would be appropriately named Feral Pop Frenzy. By now, the band were embracing experimentation and followed no genre or musical direction. They also followed no established way of making an album. The band recorded throughout 1992, and every song was recorded in a different setting. A couple of the tracks were recorded in proper studios and given a pop shine. Others were recorded cheaply in a kitchen. Musically, there was guitar pop, programmed beats, old-timey string instruments like banjos, and all different song styles. They were full of ideas, and there was a lot of energy in the band. The result is a 17-track sprawling opus. It feels like a double record, but actually runs just over 40 minutes. It's best enjoyed as a compilation, as Matt and Mary share vocals over the tracks in all different styles. It's hard to pick anything indicative of the album, but Falling Down the Stairs was a minor hit in the UK. So here's Even As We Speak with Falling Down the Stairs. Pop Frenzy made its impact in the UK and made the British indie charts. It also saw a release in Japan and Europe. It didn't really do anything in Australia. Triple J didn't play them and they weren't really around in Australia much to tour and they didn't build that fan base. The band spent more time in the UK and there was some major label interest, but the band missed home and the major labels were only interested in even as we speak if the band moved to the UK permanently. Having lived out of each other's pockets for eight years, the band decided to return home, and they broke up shortly after. Mary Wire formed a band called Her Name in Lights, which also featured Simon Holmes from The Hummingbirds and Alison Galloway of Smudge. They released one album in 2004 called Into the Light Again. Surprisingly, even as we speak, reformed in 2016. Their reputation outside of Australia remained strong, and they played indie pop festivals in New York and the UK. 24 years after their last new music, they independently released a bunch of singles in 2017. Then, 27 years after their first album, they released their second album, Adelphi, in 2020. It was dream pop with their expected inventive weirdness. Even as we speak, kind of lucked into a completely different scene in the early 90s. Their music was more British-influenced than most Australian bands, especially in the height of grunge. They are the only Australian band to have releases on the super-hip Sarah Records, and they recorded those multiple John Peel sessions. They kind of showed a path that was different from the Triple J road. It would become a more common and familiar road after the 90s, as Australian bands would sign directly to international indie labels. For me, I love their early singles the most. They were sweet boy-girl jangle pop, not unlike the stuff being played by the Hummingbirds and Falling Joys. That stuff is sadly hard to find, 
although they are collected on a couple of compilations. Here's the first breakthrough even as we speak single, The Wonderful Blue Suburban Skies. And finally, it's chart time. The year-end alternative chart this year was called the Year-End Alternative Independent Chart. But there's lots of major label stuff on here, so what is independent anyway? The highest-selling alternative independent single of 1993 in Australia is Killing in the Name of by Rage Against the Machine, released on the very alternative independent label, Sony. At number two is the highest-charting Australian single, and it's Black Stick by The Cruel Sea. Also in the top 10 are Sundial by Tumbleweed and Corporalalia by UMI. Died Pretty, Clouds, The Hummingbirds and many others I've covered are here as well. 23 of the top 50 are Australian. Over in albums, the number one alternative independent album of 1993 is Australian and it's The Cruel Seas, The Honeymoon Is Over. Also filling the list are Tumbleweed's self-titled album, UMI Sound As Ever, Marvin The Album by Frente and many more. Died Pretty, Clouds, Falling Joys, Hard-Ons are all on the list. Only 15 of the top 50 are Australian. You can check out the full list on the website. And to end, here is the 13th highest selling alternative independent single of 1993. It's Harness Up by Died Pretty and it's my nod to singer Ron Pino. Ron passed away during the production of this season. He was a legend and Harness Up is one of my favourite Died Pretty songs. So here's Harness Up but died pretty. Yes, you've made it to the end bit. This is where I do the stuff about support and other things about Just Ace. Every week, I try to highlight something different. This week, let's talk about Redbubble. Look, I get the odd email from people asking for t-shirts and tote bags and things. I like the idea, but it's a pretty big investment, so I'm using Redbubble for now. They print things on demand and they get it out. There's two designs. One is a massive poster of hundreds of cartoon heads of people from the Australian music scene in the 90s. I drew it myself and it took ages, but it was fun to do. It was too complicated to be this small podcast artwork on your phone, but go check it out. I'm really proud of it. And you can get it on a t-shirt or a poster or whatever. There's also a circle version of the podcast artwork that I think looks kind of cool. Again, there's t-shirts, tote bags, hats, mugs, and all sorts of stuff. 
It's also all set to the lowest possible margin as well, so hopefully it's not too expensive. And of course, any money I make goes back into this project. Go check out the Redbubble page, there's a link in the description. There's also a Patreon for those who can afford it. And there's Buy Me A Coffee, which is a tipping service. Links are also in the description. There are no-cost ways to support the podcast as well, like leaving the podcast a review on Apple Podcasts. You can also share links and posts, and follow me on social media to drive up the numbers. And of course, just tell a friend. Spread the word. There's show notes, playlists, and much more on the website, which is at justace90s.com, which is justace90s.com. And I'm on social media on that handle as well, justace90s. Okay, that's it, and it's a lot. But next week, it's a lot more. It's time to talk about the biggest Australian music story of the decade and how Silverchair and their label Murmur came along and defined the 90s.